about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. second reading is from Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 to 25 starts with the word therefore I don't think that's connected to the previous reading exactly so <clears throat> Hebrews 10 19 therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body and since we have a great priest over the house of God let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Good evening. As Pastor Roger has said, my name is David Whitehead, and uh, the church in New York City sends you greetings. You have brothers and sisters who look a lot like you, maybe speak English a little bit more brutishly, but... Um, we are glad that we're one family, that we're together in one group. And it's a, um, it is truly a privilege to be here with you. Um, might be good for you to know a little bit about myself before I begin to unpack the scripture. I'm uh, married 33 years, two beautiful daughters. One is in college, or I guess you call it uni. And um, the other one is in high school. Do you call that Hio? I don't know what you call it. <laughs> But um, but those are, and um, I have been in New York City for the last 15 years. I'm on staff now with City to City, and I also uh, have been planting churches before I joined the staff. Uh, I guess it's full-time now, and I also work with a group called Church Multiplication Ministries. We're going to be here for this week helping uh, pastors and coaches and people just uh because, you know, pastors and coaches are not people, but, you know, uh, everyone to, uh, to understand how to live this Christian faith. So, and one of the things that um, also I think is unique in my story is that uh, it's, it's captured in an oxymoron. I, um, uh, you know what an oxymoron is, right? Two, two separate words that, you know, like, I don't know, military intelligence or something like that. For me, it was... Texas atheist. I was raised in Texas, and I was an atheist. And if you're familiar with that part of the United States, that's the Bible Belt. So to be uh, uh, not just an agnostic, but actually a militant atheist, uh, aggressively against religion of all forms, and, aggress and particularly against Christianity, that described me. And my roommate uh, I was in Austin, Texas at the time when my roommate uh, had come into our uh, place and suddenly he was a Christian. And um, 
in my attempts to get this guy out of this backwoods, medieval, primitive cult called Christianity, um, God had another plan. And just a few weeks later, I became a Christian. Now, that's an entire story, and many of you might be interested in learning more about that. Uh, I'm sorry I don't have the time for that. But uh, needless to say, when I first came into the church, uh, it was a whole new world for me. Um, my, uh, I, I looked very differently than I do today. My hair was down to here. I had a beard out like this. I was on the very back row. I was heavily involved with the drug culture, so I had been at a speed party for three days prior to going to this church. I came to it because my roommate was getting baptized. I had no idea what baptism was. I figured it's what Baptists did. I didn't know what it was. And so I went. I was on the back row uh, toward the end of this gathering. Uh, a plate came by with money. And I thought they were giving money away. So I took a handful for lunch and just passed it on. It was a true story. And I was amazed that there was an Old Testament and a New Testament because I thought, well, why? I mean, was the, is, did they need a new model? What happened with this? And so it was quite a journey. And the only thing that kept me in the game were the spiritual friends that I had made in that congregation. I had no knowledge of the gospel. If you had asked me what the gospel was, I wouldn't have known. If I had no knowledge of the Bible, all that was holding me there were people who were willing to get into my life and invest in me. And as a result of that, here is a former Texas atheist speaking to Australian Anglicans many years later. And so... I wanted to tell that story because I feel like that one of the things that's important for us to recognize is that when we talk about the gospel and what it is, one of the outcomes of the gospel is community, a community of people who are friends, people who know each other. So that's what I'm going to explore with you tonight, and I'm excited about it as well, seeing the average age here. I think hopefully this will be an important message for you. This is going to be... Hopefully a good, good time for all of us. Um, I think spiritual friendships begin actually in Genesis 1. I want you to think about this. God created the heavens and the earth. He created man. He put man in the Garden of Eden. For all accounts, probably a paradise. Chances are the Garden of Eden had no winter. I mean, because there were no jackets yet, so... It, chances are it was it was a very beautiful place. And God came into the garden, and God would meet with Adam. And isn't it interesting that even with mankind in paradise, with God, the statement was, this is not good. Think about that. It is not good for man to be alone. I'm going to have to make someone for him. In order for us to talk about spiritual friendships, I think we have to acknowledge the biblical narrative that says you and I were created for spiritual relationship. We were made for relationship. And we can't escape that. It's a part 
of who we are. And therefore, I would, uh, I would say to you that as a result of that, all friendships are spiritual. I don't believe that the relationships you have here are spiritual and the relationships you have at the workplace are not. I would submit to you they're all spiritual. The question is not whether they're spiritual because they're made in the image of God as well. The question is, is it taking us upward or downward? 1 Corinthians 15.33 tells us, do not be deceived. Do you know what a working definition of deception is? It means you can see the truth, you can see a lie, and you can't tell the difference. Deceived people are wholeheartedly in their deception. All right? And the scripture says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. In other words, your spiritual friendships can either pull you down or lift you up. So making sure you have the right spiritual friendships makes all the difference. So I would say the gospel takes us to spiritual friendships because we were made for spiritual friendships. Isn't it interesting that if you or I were in prison, what would be the most uh, severe punishment that a prison can give to a prisoner? Solitary confinement. Why? Because they know that if you're alone long enough, you become dysfunctional in a massive way. Now, isn't that interesting? That if we are alone long enough, we become dysfunctional in a major way. So I want to talk about spiritual friendships. How do we experience them as what this passage is describing? I believe it does describe spiritual friendships. We have the beginning of Hebrews talking about the ability to enter in to the holy place by the blood of Jesus. It talks about drawing near with a true heart in full assurance of faith being cleansed by an, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed. It talks to us about holding fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And then it says this, let us consider how to stir, spur each other on in the translation that was read to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, if you've been in churches long enough, pastors have used this passage. This is the passage. Don't neglect the gathering together, right? You've got to come together. Yes, it's true. That is. That is a legitimate passage about coming together as the people of God. Don't neglect it because this is where due north is set. This is where gospel proclamation occurs. This is where it's almost like the gateway. But let me ask this. Are you spurring each other on? Are you encouraging each other? Maybe to some degree here. But this, this gathering cannot nearly meet what this passage is talking about. We're going to have to come into each other's lives in different venues, in different ways. We will, we're going to have to talk about deep mutual ministry, spiritual friendships between brothers and sisters in Christ in which we are actively involved. In other words, what I'm trying to say, and I believe what this passage is trying to say, is as important as coming to 
Church in the graveyard every week is. You could be here every week, and if you're not placing yourself in a position to know others and being known by others, you are missing the aspects of spiritual growth that God has proclaimed in his scripture. You're missing something major. So I want to talk about that a little bit. C.S. Lewis writes, and if you're not familiar with C.S. Lewis, he wrote The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. Um, and, it, and in the 1940s, he was regarded as a Christian apologist. If you don't know what apologist is, that mean, it doesn't mean someone who apologizes. That means someone who is defending the Christian faith. And he was quite good at it. And in his, in his uh, landmark work called Mere Christianity, here's what he writes. Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. We are carriers of Christ to each other. It's easy to think that the church has many purposes, education, buildings, missions, holding services, but the purpose of all of those purposes is one. The church has no other purpose than to draw people into Christ, to make them like little Christs. If they're not doing that, then all of the cathedrals, missions, sermons, even the teaching of the Bible are simply a waste of time. Hmm. In other words, this service is not the means of uh, the end to its own means. It's actually pointing to something else. It's for you to walk as Christ in the rest of your week. And the only way you can really walk in Christ is as you are involved in community, spiritual friendships that are lifting you up and not pulling you down. So how does Christ, God's transforming presence, come to us through community? What does this look like? If you're telling me it's more than just coming to church, what is it? Well, I think in verse 24 and verse 25, it tells us about the nature of this community, the kind of community that flows out of the access that we have to the presence of God. I'm going to talk about four things. I'm going to talk about considering, stirring up, spurring, rather, encouraging, and good deeds. Considering, spurring, encouraging, and good deeds. The scripture says to consider, not just to stir, spur each other on to love and good works. It says, think about it. Stop and think. Let us reflect on how we can look at the friends around us and help them and help lead them into more loving lives and deeper character. Are we pondering, how can I help my friend be less anxious? Are we pondering, how can I help this person get past their avoidance of conflict? Are we thinking through and wrestling with how we can help this leader forgive? Or how can I help this person become happier, joyful, wiser? In a healthy Christian community, we are all supposed to be doing that for each other. Do you have people around you that you know are actively thinking about how you can grow? And that you are actively actively thinking about how they can grow? Are you intentional 
about helping each other? Are you listening to others' hopes and aspirations? Are you actually sharing your sins and your weaknesses and your strengths and your capabilities? Do you talk like that to each other? I would say that women are a lot more prone to this. This is a broad sweep of the brush. But I would say this is much easier for women than for men. And I'd say we we face, you don't have to deal with this as much here. But for men over 50, those statistics are overwhelming that most men over 50 make no new friends. That the relationships they have are the ones that they've had are the ones that they'll have for the rest of their lives. And as we become more and more isolated, we become more and more dysfunctional. Do you have people around you that are thoughtful, intentional? Can you sense that? Are you one of those people around someone else? The gospel would tell you and lead you to be someone like that. The next one is spurring on. The second thing in this passage that we're told to do is to spur each other on. Do you know what this word means? I'm from Texas. A spur has a great significance. I, my family has cattle farms. I was raised riding horses. I, I know about it. Spurs, dig in to the side. The Greek of this word literally means to, it, it, we see it as an irritation, but it literally means to sharply disagree, to sharply confront. That we, we are being told that if you don't have people around you that you have given permission to sharply confront you, you're not going to grow. Does your community just agree with each other all the time? I don't know how real that community is. Since I've been quoting Lewis, I'll just throw another quote in. It's not in my notes. When he said, everybody seems benevolent when no one's irritating him. And how much of our lives are we actually living where we are engineering our time to make sure no one's irritating us? And therefore, we're not growing. Unless you have people who are willing to confront you, you're not going to become a person of love and good deeds. If you're the kind of person that's too touchy to let anyone come in and hold you accountable about the more intimate things of your life, then you're stifling your growth. I'd received a message from a young woman who had lived with my wife and I early in our marriage, and she was um, a strong cup of coffee. Oh, my. And it seemed like every day, she lived with us for a year in our apartment. Every day there was a confrontation. Every day there was a conflict. And it, it got so bad, my wife, my wife and I were just thinking, dear Lord, are we, I mean, we, it was not something we chose to do. It just came upon us. I know those of you with roommates cannot uh, relate to that at all. But. So we, we had a year of this, and then she moved on, and she got married and had kids. And Just a few, two weeks ago, I got a text from her, a very long text. And she said, that year with you and your wife was the most formative year of my life. She had been a, an orphan she had been raised by herself. Her father actually abused her most of her life. And she, she, uh, she had never had a frame of reference like that before. 
And what my wife and I didn't realize is that in that spurring her on, that confronting, we were helping guide her into areas of formation and growth. Now, I wish she had sent the text a little bit earlier because we were really feeling badly about that time. But she, at least she did. So are we? I think that's a great definition of Christian fellowship. Are we living in this? Do we really believe what the Bible says about our sin? It's one day to say, I know I'm a sinner. That's what the Bible says. But do we know practically that some of the largest flaws we have, the most besetting sins that shipwreck us, are the ones we don't see? The ones that we're blind to? By definition, the biggest sins are the ones that we're self-deceived about. So the mark of a mature Christian community is that members know that. And they're able to hold, and they love each other anyway. Do you have a community that is able to know your deep flaws and know none of you are exempt from having very deep flaws? And if you think you're doing okay, you're just in denial. Do you have people who can help you walk through that denial? Will be with you and spur you on in your denial to get you through on the other side. This is what the passage of Hebrews is talking to us about, about having spiritual friends. Some people might say, I am a Christian. I know I'm supposed to live as a Christian. I know the Bible says that we should not have sex outside of marriage, but I want to. I know the Bible says we shouldn't be spending all our money on ourselves in self-indulgent ways. We're supposed to be giving it away, but I want to spend all my money on me. I know the Bible says we should be forgiven, but I've grown so comfortable holding grudges. I'm more familiar with holding grudges than having forgiveness. I know the Bible says we shouldn't be filled with self-pity, but I get really self-absorbed and feel sorry for myself. And here's where spiritual friendship comes in. When someone is able to get honest and say those things, and they say, and when you, not if, when you see me doing that, I give you permission to give me what I need, not what I want. Do you have friendships like that? I want you to spur me on. I want you to confront me. I want you to bring me up. I give you the right to do that. Are you doing that? Or are you part of the modern culture that says, ah, you Americans, this is, this is way too personal. Yeah, you're getting busy. You're in my mail now. No, no, no. Only I have the, the right to decide what's right or wrong. I decide who I sleep with. I decide who I spend my money with, about how I spend my money. This is nobody's business but mine. Well, if you say that, you're on a course toward isolation and dysfunction. Are you willing to give your brothers and sisters, your spiritual friends, that access? Are they willing to give you that access? The third one is encouraging. It says we should encourage one another. Totally different phrase from stirring or spurring on. Almost the opposite. Spurring on is to confront. Encouraging is a great Greek word. It's parakaleo. 
It means to encourage. The para part means to come alongside. Kaleo means to call. To come alongside and call out those qualities. To empathetically put yourself in someone else's shoes and show that you're really for them and support them in what they're trying to do, which is exactly the opposite of spurring on. You need confrontation and you need support all at the same time. There are some churches that are very big on confrontation. They'll just tell you everything you're doing wrong. And there are some churches that are very big on support. They'll just affirm everything you do with no consequences. But this passage tells us that spiritual friendships is the tension between the two. It's both spurring on and encouraging all at the same time. Many years ago, I got rid of the concept of balance because balance is that elusive thing that we all try to get. And once you get it, enjoy it for the few seconds you have it. It'll be gone like that. I'm a bigger fan of tension. Where is that not supposed to be today? In the tug of war between what needs to be spurred on and what needs to be encouraged. And I'm considering, I'm pondering how to do those things. And the outcome of this are good deeds. Good deeds should be what naturally comes out of this kind of ministry. When you're really involved in each other's lives, you begin to live a life of love and good deeds. Good deeds, I, because I'm running out of time, good deeds means practical, active, compassionate service. Simple things that may not be glamorous, but make a big difference. I just so enjoyed watching the simple acts of putting out the fruit, setting up the tea and the coffee. Me it seems like menial tasks, doesn't it? But you've all benefited from it. There are people who did these very simple things which go a long way. If anyone has ever received a meal while they're sick, what a statement that is. It seems so simple. Is greeting people as they come in beneath you? Or do you just go on with things? I believe that these are the type of things that should define us as a community because we have spiritual friends that help us do it. And as a result, we're able to reach people that we wouldn't normally reach. We're able to be appealing. We're able to, to be inviting to people into our circles of relationship. We bring them into spiritual friendship. I'm going to end. Um, there was a wonderful uh, address that, since I quoted Lewis earlier, uh, C.S. Lewis did an address called The Inner Ring. And in that address, he, he said that one of the great driving motivations of the human heart is that it is usually the, there is a usually an unrecognized desire to be inside an inner circle. We need to feel that we're on the inside of some group that we admire or we can't live with ourselves. He noticed, and in his address, he, he brought up scholars who, though they're working hard on their scholarship, are probably not really after scholarship. You know what they're after? They want to be accepted into the circle of academics that they're studying for. Their biggest concern is to get inside, to be accepted. People who are working hard to make money, but it's really not money that they're after. You know what they're after? 
They want to be into that particular club. They want to buy an apartment in that particular neighborhood. They want to drive that particular car because if they get there, then they'll be accepted into a whole new inner circle. If we did it conversely, why are so many of these kids getting into street gangs? They're willing to do anything if they can be accepted into that inner circle. And that is what makes our friendships in life miserable because we are driven by feeling that unless I'm in the inside of this circle of people that I really respect in life, like I don't know who I am. And it creates incredible insecurity and angst. Think about dating someone who you really are attracted to. How awkward is it just because you are overcompensating to try to get into the inner circle of their affections? I, maybe that doesn't relate to you. Think about somebody that you know who's ever tried to do that. But here's the good news. Because even though we are driven by envy to get inside the circles, and that can even happen in a church like this, that you see certain circles and you want to do things, and, and instead of serving for the sake of God, you're actually serving for your own sake. You're doing it so you feel good about yourself. You're doing it so you will be accepted by that cute guy or that cute girl, that you will be seen. But God has good news for you. Because by the blood of Jesus, if we look at the very beginning of the Hebrews passage, by the blood of Jesus, you have been admitted into the ultimate inner circle. And you know what that inner circle is? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A relationship that has been forever. And according to the writer of Hebrews, that when you recognize that you have a high priest who can sympathize with your weakness, now you can enter with confidence into that circle. And when you recognize you are accepted by grace, that you are loved by this inner circle, it will destroy your need to get inside any other inner ring. But if you don't know that you are loved by God's grace, if you don't really believe that Jesus loves you, you're going to try to find that love in other circles. You're going to look for it in spiritual friendships, and those friendships will take you down. What are relationships really about? When Jesus was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think about this. This, His best friend, God the Father, the one he had known for eternity, in the only period of time of eternity, there was a separation between the Son and the Father. There was isolation. There was loneliness. He was forsaken. Why? Jesus did it because he was taking on your isolationism. He was taking on the things that you do to try to separate yourself from God, your sin, the things that you have done. And the good news is, is Jesus took that upon himself on that cross. You are accepted and the cross tells us you are accepted. And because Jesus was forsaken in your place, 
God will never forsake you. Everything that you deserve fell upon Jesus. And now he will never, ever, ever forsake you. Do you know that? Do you know that he loves you like that? If you do, that will change your relationships. That will change the way you approach relationship. It'll go from trying to feel better about yourself to actually focusing in on what those other people are thinking. It will empower you to actually consider how to spur them on and encourage them to good deeds because it's no longer about you because he has already accepted you. It's one of the beauties of the good news. You can draw near a full of assurance of faith, understanding in the meaning of the blood of Jesus, entering into this inner ring of spiritual friendship with God and let that transform your relationships with each other. And when you do that, this becomes a community that now is able to minister to the neighborhood all around it. Pastor Roger, would you please lead us in prayer? Father God, you're a good and gracious God, and we thank you for sending your Son into this world to call us to yourself, for sending Jesus into this world to stand in our place to deal with our isolation and the the way we have treated you and others. And Father, we thank you that uh, in doing so, you have called us in and made us your own and that we are in that inner circle because of what Christ has done. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, earlier on this evening I said there would be a little question time before we moved on and so this evening we're going to do that, um, just have a little bit of a question time. So the best way to do this is just to raise your hand um, and Ryan's going to come and give you a um, microphone so we can all hear you and then Dave is going to answer those questions for us. Thanks. Well, no, I, I can't guarantee answers. But... Well, you could, yeah. <laughs> um, just wondering the type of people... Obviously, there's lots of people here, and we're not going to be have the same type of friendship with everyone. Um, who should we be looking for to have these deeper relationships with? Yeah. Um, you know, same as us, same age, different people. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I'm I'm going by a dirty little secret, and that is that the spirit is alive and working in our midst, and he actually just might be leading you to people. And there'll be, there'll be a couple of different things to look for, right? There'll be the people that you, uh, I think the current uh, phrase is resonate with. There'll be people that you resonate with. You go, yeah, that's, wow, we have something here. Well, that, just opening your eyes to that. Uh, I mean, with all due respect, we're just not smart enough to sense that. Uh, that's the spirit of God moving and starting to do. There'll be other people that you actually have compassion for and sympathy for, not, not pity, but compassion for, and to be able to go, wow, this, I could really spur this person on and encourage this person. And, and, and each of those relationships um, are going to have different levels of intimacy, right? So just like any normal person, there's only going to be, I mean, Jesus had three that he modeled that kind of intimate relationship. But then there were 12 that he made himself known to in deeper ways. There were 70 
that got to know him. So it's, it, we're not asking, in this message, don't mistake it as something where you've got to lay it out there for everybody. There are certain people, but are you, once again, once you get those, I'm hoping this will give you frameworks to think about. Okay, how can I spur this person on? How can I help them? How can I lift them up? And in um, whatever that means, as the Spirit of God is bringing these relationships to you. Thanks, Dave. I've got a question about um, being friends with people who are not Christians. Yeah. Um, but not seeing them as a sort of evangelism project. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, so I guess I'm wondering about how you would see going deepening friendships with a person who's not a Christian but still to kind of, um, I guess, allow that sort of personal growth. Absolutely. Well, uh, speaking as a former non-Christian, um, uh, I think it's good. Um, I think there, there, I'm going to make a few statements that we're actually going to unpack in the, the deeper together. So I think we make an artificial uh, wall between evangelism and discipleship. I think if, uh, when I say evangelism, for a lot of people, they think tracks or they've got to do something or they say, well, I can't be evangelist. I don't own a bullhorn, things like this. So, but I, but I, I want to diffuse all that. And I would say that you could spur those non-Christians forward. A lot of my, listen, I'm in a neighborhood that is um, predominantly non-Christian. My neighborhood uh, practices Hanukkah, not Christian, not Christmas. So, I'm in a very Jewish neighborhood. Um, but for example, my Jewish neighbor and his living girlfriend have asked me to do their premarital. They know I'm a pastor. They know I'm Christian. But I've been able to spur them on. I've been considering how to spur them on. I confront him on certain things, and I'm encouraging him on certain things. He has no other friend that does that for him. No one. Similarly, my gay neighbor who lives right next door to me who calls me his pastor, will never come to our congregation. But we're great friends. First of all, he's a fantastic chef. He's really good. That's very selfish, but he makes a paella to die for. But um, he trusts me. So I would say if we could, I loved what you said. Uh, they're not projects. And if we can understand salvation only comes from the Lord, not from me, only from the Lord then that frees us up to be ourselves. So I would treat them just like you would treat each other here. You know, I need prayer. I, have you ever asked a non-Christian to pray for you? It's very fun. You should try to do it. See what they do. I'm not joking. They, they're actually, whoa, I don't have a license. Can I do that? Sure you can. It's beautiful. And then to tell them, how can I pray for you? They'll tell you how to pray for them. And so as long as it's not artificial or contrived, there's a real relationship. I value them, and I know I can't save them. So I feel no pressure to do goofy things that are not, you know. That's up to the Lord. My neighbor, after 12 years, she's on the fifth floor. She's lived in her apartment 40 years. She just came to Jesus two weeks ago, or uh, two months ago, excuse me, two months ago. And uh, it's been 12 years just being a friend. Um, I'm, I'm good at strong bromances very quickly, um, which is a very, that's awesome. Which, <laughs> we'll hang question, out, man. Yeah. We, if we want to bro, that's great. Um, the question that I have is, um, is there necessarily a time frame for some of these relationships? 
No, um, because that's chemistry. That's not math. It's based upon your personality, their personality. It's, it's, you know, like in chemistry, you change one element, you have an entirely different compound. So if anything, I think Christians get into trouble when they try to superimpose some template upon the relationship. I think that causes problems. So, I mean, uh, you know, look, if, for some of us, we know what, if, if you've had overbearing parents, you know what it's like to have a template pressed upon you. Remember how you responded? Just think about them. <laughs> they won't like it either. So, so I would encourage you to, once again, back to the, trust the spirit of God. I believe the kingdom is way beyond the church. I think the kingdom is everywhere. And I believe that our job as Christians is to identify what God is doing in people's lives. I don't manufacture that. I just observe it. And, and like even my Jewish neighbor and my friends, wow, it seems like God is doing this. And you know what? They'll, even if they don't believe, they'll go, wow, I've never thought about it that way before. Yeah, it seems that way. And so uh, no time frames uh, you are looking for, in a sense, you're wanting, uh, the outcome should be good deeds, good works, but what those are, I don't know. And what does spurring on mean? That's based upon the relationship. And once again, it's, in, it's, in the, it's at the pace of relationship you deal with this. You think of seasons, not timelines. Um, thank you, David. Uh, there seems to be a, mutu- a mutuality to the way that you're describing friendship. Um, and it strikes me that particularly when we talk about spurring on, there's the potential for that to get really messy and hard in the context of friendship. Yeah. And so how do we deal with, how do we deal with the mess? How do you deal with the mess? Um, one of my favorite proverbs is where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. <laughs> Let that sink in for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> I think all relationship is messy. If it's real, it's messy. So I would encourage you to normalize the mess normalize it and that's why I asked in the spurring on part do have you given people permission so if I just came up to you and started correcting you yeah run away that's weird but but if if there are people that you if we've built a relationship to such a point where you go Dave I really trust you you have permission to speak to I you know Roger and I are friends and I've told Roger Roger anytime I like I act like an American just tell me He's been talking to me nonstop. It's really been. <laughs> so, no, but we actually do have a relationship where Roger can correct me. I wouldn't do that with just everyone. So we normalize it at the beginning. We just say, this is normalized at the beginning. And, and then if you see something where you feel like the Spirit is prompting you, I'm going to spur this person on. I feel like I need to. Ask him. Once again, in a normal relationship, go, hey, this is going to be very awkward. Can I, can I, bring an observation that might be difficult for you. Are you open to that? Now, I'm, I'm projecting a North American context, so I know you have your Aussie sensibilities, so please contextualize, filter it through yourselves, you know. But I, would that be okay? And if they say no, then no, I'm not going to do it. But if, if they are willing to go yes, then I'll go, okay, here it goes. And give it to them. Gently. Beautifully. Is that helpful?
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.